0: Tim leads us in today's uh, sermon.
1: Thank you, Tim.: Thanks, Joe. We have uh, a tech rehearsal for these services on a Saturday, and um, you won't be surprised to know that the that Joe being so creative, you'll have noticed that the color of the slide background matches the color of the carpets, matches the color of the chairs, and gives us that all warm feeling, a warm pinky feeling. She mentioned Christmas earlier on, and uh, we're over halfway there for this year, um, but it reminded me when we were chatting that um, for last Christmas, Christine and I got a couple of um, cinema tickets and pizza from our uh, eldest son. And typically, we only used it at the very last moment, at the end of June. It expired at the end of June. But we went to watch the film yesterday. Anybody watched the film yesterday? The plot was pretty ridiculous, to be honest, but running through this film were lots of the old Beatles songs. And uh, I just want you to chat amongst yourselves. How many Beatles songs can you think of with the word love in it or in them? I'm not it wrong. Right, okay. <laughs> okay here we go who's got one what's the first one everybody remembers the first one yes, love, love love me, me do yes i wasn't thinking of it, but that's right she loves, she loves you yeah 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 all we need is love all we need is love i think i've got one more anybody else got any more roddy you got any more so we've got, love me do, she loves me, you can't buy me love, can't buy me love, all you need is love. Okay, so what I want to do before I get into the reading today, you know we're going through this book, uh, letter to Ephesians, so I want to lay down a couple of reference points, and the first reference point I want to lay down and ask you about is, what do you mean by the word love? What does it look like? How would you define it? What are its characteristics? What makes it different from something like just liking someone? To being their friend. Okay, have a chat amongst each other, and what maybe would you share that you love today? Who or what do you love today? <laughs> I've got any- <laughs> <laughs> Put them down there. Okay, I don't suppose many of you have thought about this in the context of what we're talking about. This is for Roddy and me and Mike and one or two others of us with a military background. This is a um, a, a CVRT, a Scorpion Armoured Vehicle. chap called Ben Kay spent 14 years and thousands of pounds renovating uh, this uh, armoured vehicle and he then used it for the school run. (laughs) His children loved it and thought he was pretty cool. So this might be a a representation of someone's love. My second reference point I want to lay down is, um, and I must say we need to be careful as I talk about these because I don't want to be making sweeping assertions or judgments, but the Western world seems to be increasingly anxious and depressed. The, uh, I would say, consistently negative media, along with politicians' inability to have a polite conversation rather than a shouting match, are pretty self-evident. But the pace of change everywhere is unrelenting. I thought this was quite a good quote from Prime Minister Trudeau. The pace of change has never been faster and it will never be as slow again. Economic demands for endless growth, greater efficiency, more effectiveness, hard and stretched targets. Anybody work for an organisation with a hard and stretched target? Dave does. I used to work and I still work with some. All demanding... And if our stretch targets, our hard targets are reached, we're simply given more demanding ones. And if being confronted by hundreds of emails, text messages, phone calls each day isn't isn't enough of a problem, then we're surrounded by organizations like Extinction Rebellion, telling us we've barely a few years left before the planet dies as a result of climate change, or that the planet will stop spinning as a result of a hard Brexit. (laughs) The faces of people hurrying to work as I travel to places like London, and even more as I travel back, are hot and bothered and tired, weary and puzzled, living with the unanswerable questions as to what it all means. So why do we do it? Maybe to find security, prove ourselves to ourselves, or maybe all too often prove ourselves to others. That's my second reference point. It leads me on to my third, which is social media. Seemed to have been, as I prepared for this, seemed to have hit a lot of social media issues as I've read and and, and listened and watched TV and so forth. Not long ago, the word friend referred to someone that we knew pretty well. We physically spent time with them in real life and could turn to them when the going got tough. And for most of us, good friends were in relatively short supply. My best friend is a guy I was at Santa's with in 1969, saw him last weekend. People like him are pretty rare. With the uh, launch of the Internet, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and a raft of other social media sites, friendship for many, particularly the young, seems to have mutated into wanting to be liked by large numbers of people they've never actually met and with whom they're prepared to share every detail of their private lives, but who wouldn't be much good to them if they were in trouble. Online virtual relationships... Displaying apparently perfect lives only served to pile on the pressure. And the result is that scarcely a week passes by without uh, reports of an epidemic of mental health problems sweeping the nation. According to the charity Action for Children, children are being hard hit. Far from being carefree, increasing numbers of primary school te- uh, children, teenagers, young adults are apparently buckling under the weight of unprecedented social pressures. And alongside this, anxious older adults now increasingly see themselves as vulnerable and turn to one form of therapeutic intervention or another, and counsellors and psychologists looking to therapies or look to therapies like mindfulness to provide solutions. According to last week's Sunday Times, the ITV programme Love Island, branded as a cultural phenomenon, has resulted in 41% leap in the numbers of couples in their 20s and 30s seeking counselling. As I've never watched the programme, I'll leave it up to you to work out why. It's a complex business, and we mustn't be too simplistic about it, as I've said. But I think what binds these three reference points and others like them together is a striving for a sense of self-worth, to feel wanted, valued loved. And whilst coin the coin rela- the words of another 60s song, love is all around us, in a world of so-called blended families, broken relationships, and increasing loneliness, that love for many seems a million miles away. I was reading an article recently about the newly elected mayor of Istanbul's 50-page campaign strategy. Do you remember he won and President Erdogan made him fight the mayor or elections again. His uh, campaign strategy was a book called The Book of Radical Love. His first principle was ignore Erdogan, but love those who love him. In refusing to run a bitter political campaign, he instructed his supporters to find a neighbour who doesn't think like you and then just give them a hug. That stands in pretty stark contrast to many other political leaders I can think of. Interestingly, the article ends by arguing that maybe it's time for radical love here in the UK, an issue which we're going to return to. So let's see what the Bible has to say about this. Anne's going to come and read to us from uh, Paul's letter to the Ephesians. We're now well into chapter 3. Some of you may recognise a couple of the verses from what Anne's going to read because they're written on the wall or one of the walls, in the prayer room. So listen out if you use the prayer room. Anne.
0: Thank you. So the the reading this morning is taken from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 3, beginning at the 14th verse. It can be found on page 1174 of the church Bibles, and hopefully it's going to be up there as well. Um, As Tim said, this is Paul's real prayer for the Ephesians. than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Amen. Thank you, Anne. Beautifully read. So do keep your Bibles open if you've got one. There are some at the uh, edges of the uh, of the seats and uh, we're going to keep the first part of the reading up on the screen to begin with. Today is week six in our series on Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus and there's five more weeks to come so we're almost halfway through. Last week Paul talked about his calling to be a servant of the gospel and in particular he declared that he was called to preach Jesus Christ to the non-Jewish world i.e. Gentiles like you and me and it was a radical uh, calling. He now declares at the beginning of this re- at the beginning of this reading that this is the reason that he kneels before the father he says from whom the whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. This is a family which includes Jew and Gentile slave And free men and women, young and old, all colors, all backgrounds, all experiences. Nobody is excluded. Deep social, political, racial, cultural divides are overcome and swept away for all of us who accept Christ Jesus. As brothers and sisters, we are adopted, equally loved into God's family. He then writes some of the most powerful words in the New Testament, and these are the words that are written on the wall in the prayer room. Praying that they may be rooted and established in love, he implores these young Christians to grasp how wide and long and high and deep the love of Christ is, and to know that this love surpasses knowledge. Now, why does he say that? Well, I think because he wants them to live full contented and above all secure lives Paul knows that they will only be able to do that if they really know really know that they are accepted and loved Christ's love he says is wide enough to embrace and encompass all mankind covering this world and beyond there's no time limits it's long enough to last for eternity It is deep enough to reach down into hell and rescue those, even the most degraded sinner, held in bondage by Satan. And it's high enough to exalt everyone to heaven. It's an awesome message. Paul is the most incredible writer when you read these verses. They're very powerful. And his prayer here mirrors the message, mirrors the message he writes to the Christians in Rome. Many of you will remember these verses telling them that they are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, not the present, not the future, any powers, neither height nor depth or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And this love, Paul says, is not an intellectual exercise, which is why he says in verse 19 that this love surpasses knowledge. It's rather a deep-down, heart-driven, emotional experience brought about through the power of the Holy Spirit. Like a tree with deep roots or a building with firm foundations, he tells them that this love is to be the soil in which their lives are to be rooted it is to be the foundation on which their lives are to be built. And his prayer is that they will experience this boundless love as individuals and as a community. And that message has rolled down the centuries to reach all of us here today. And I would argue that grasping the reality, the truth of the full extent of God's love lies at the very centre of, of finding a sense of self-worth and love that so many are striving to find as discussed in those reference points. In a world desperate to be liked, we have a God whose unconditional love is freely available everywhere for everyone, for anybody prepared to seek it. And that applies to everyone here today. And listening maybe. Online, I say that because although many of us I know already understand the reality of this love and experience this love, the truth is that many Christians today seem to believe that God's love only applies to other people. So they believe that whilst he loves Tom and Daniel, Sophie and Claire, or the person sitting either side of them, in church, at here at St. Paul's or in other places, he doesn't really love them. He can't possibly love me. Because, well, for any number of reasons, really. Mostly it has something to me, uh, something to do with me not being good enough. Or a failure in my relationships. Or, well, you fill in the dots. We all need to grasp that Christ's radical love doesn't need to be earned. It's available for everyone under all conditions. Jesus Christ laid down his life in order to establish a kingdom of love. Which is why the word appears dozens of times in the Gospels, a couple of hundred times in the rest of the New Testament, and 35 times in John's first letter alone. And John sums it up in this letter, in his first letter by simply stating that God is love. From Christ's birth to his crucifixion, there are breathtaking glimpses into the heart of a creator God, all of them signifying just how far he is willing to go for you and for me. I don't know what you shared in that early discussion about love and what it looks like and its characteristics. The, the famous passage, of course, that's often used at weddings and so on. We've had a number of them here at St. Paul's recently. Is that wonderful passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. God is, Love is patient. Love is kind. Always enduring. Always forgiving. It's a great passage and you might like to read it after the service or this evening quietly. But in addition to that, I reckon there are three attributes to love. Perfect love involves self-giving without limit. A person who loves another holds nothing back. They will do anything and sacrifice everything for the one that they love. And perfect love is precarious. When we love another, we love them for their sake, not for ours. Such love is incompatible with an attempt to control or dominate the one we love. Love is therefore always potentially tragic because we can never be certain of our loved one's response. And all too often, that response may be a rejection of our love. The third mark of perfect love is therefore vulnerability. When we love someone, we grant them power over us. We cannot love and then remain detached or self sufficient. As self-giving, love is therefore a form of surrender. It's not us, but the one we love who determines the success of the venture. Self-giving without limit. Sacrificing everything. Handing over control and surrendering ourselves to the will of another. And the message of the Bible is that in Christ... We have a creator God who does indeed give himself to the point of exhaustion and death because love sets no limits. A God who does not control what he has created because love imposes no control or constraints. And a God who is infinitely vulnerable, as vulnerable as a newborn baby or as an innocent man who allows himself to be beaten up and strung up, and executed on a wooden cross alongside a couple of criminals. And I think all this matters because for all of us, surely there is a yearning to know that life is more than just existing day by day, dealing with all those issues we touched on, just surviving in a demanding, brutal, and confusing political, economic, and social world underneath it all we all seek love hence all those Beatles songs and the thousands of others just like them and the films and the TV shows that we watch day by day week by week on the issue of love so that being so let me end by asking you this question do you know that you are loved? Do you really know that God loves you? Loved by an awesome creator and his son, Jesus Christ, who handed over control and surrendered himself to the will of his father, sacrificing everything for you and for me. This love can be rejected. Of course it can. And it often is. But maybe... Maybe today, and I have to say in the first service this morning at 9 o'clock, this applied to someone who spoke to me afterwards. Maybe today, perhaps for the first time in your life, you can hear and accept that God is not some form of tyrant who demands your obedience and can barely wait to catch you out. Rather, he is an infinitely tender, radical lover who loves you just as you are, for all your faults and your failings. And nothing can separate you from it. No matter how disjointed or disrupted your lives may have been in the past or indeed are now. God knows and accepts you for who you are right here, right now. Now I have no time for pious hopes But over the years, I've come to realize that God's plan for us, which is what this series is about, is that we should live our lives rooted and grounded in the reality of his radical love. That's the radical love we need to return to that was written in that article, I think it was the Times, a week or so ago. Why? Because without the knowledge that we are loved, truly loved, by a creator God and his son Jesus Christ... We will never find a sense of self-worth and a sense of love that so many of us strive for. That's the radical love we all need to return to. The love of Christ. The love of God. For God is love. Let's just pray. Lord, there are times when Silence seems best. And yet when we're faced with the, with your love, we have to speak, if for no other reason than to say thank you. Your love turns the values of the world upside down. It strengthens and comforts us with the knowledge that you care. That you care for us all. It tells us that we belong to your family. And we thank you. We thank you that it's free there's no price tag, we can't earn it, we can't bargain for it, we can just accept it. And I pray that for all of us here today, we can do indeed just that, except that you love us. Amen.